Morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, for four Sundays now, uh, we have been talking about how God is moving mightily in this church, uh, so much so that we know that we are going to be out of room in this building somewhere in the next six to 18 uh, months or so. And thus, so we can continue to reach people and disciple people for Christ. Uh, We are attempting to add 24,000 square feet to this building, but we know that expansion will cost us $8.75 million. And so to make that work so we don't run out of room, uh, we are attempting to raise $4 million in three-year pledges. And we know that we're gonna need to raise really over $4 million million if we're gonna break ground this summer like we increasingly think we need to. And today is the end of that series. Today is our important commitment Sunday. And so towards the end of the service, uh, we're gonna be asking you to hand in uh, your commitment cards uh, for Illuminate, for our building expansion. If you haven't filled one out yet or you didn't receive one or you lost yours or whatever, uh, they uh, were on the seats uh, when you came in if you need to take a look at that. Well, as we're all kind of thinking about commitment and illuminate this morning, I want to talk about that very topic of commitment uh, from God's word. So everybody grab a Bible. Uh, There's Bibles uh, under the chair in front of you or under your chair if you're in your front row. We're actually just going to pick up where we left off last week in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So that's page 792. If you weren't here last week, For context, in uh, chapter eight of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the Corinthian Christians about uh, receiving uh, a collection, an offering, for the Christians in Jerusalem uh, that are really uh, struggling. Uh, While you're looking that up, I wanna tell you that uh, next Sunday, uh, things will get a bit more uh, back to normal around here as we will be done with our Illuminate series, and we are gonna be starting a new teaching series called Parables of Eternity, where we are gonna be teaching through Matthew chapter 13 in the Bible, which has a whole bunch of parables uh, from Jesus. So I'm excited to kick that series off for us uh, next week. So make sure you're here for that. Okay, let's take a look at our passage. So page 792, we are in 2 Corinthians 8. So you're going to find that big number 8, and we left off at verse 10. So find the small number 10. That's the verse. Here's what Paul writes. He says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Okay, while we study this a passage this morning, uh, what we're gonna see is we're gonna see Paul really describe three ways that he wants the Corinthians to be committed to God's cause. Here's the first way that we see in this first section. And being committed to God's cause, number one, we as Christians, we commit to finishing the work. And so these Corinthian Christians, we read, they had essentially told Paul about a year prior, and they were the first to tell Paul out of all of his churches that we want to give, we want to be a part of this, we want to help the Christians in Jerusalem that are struggling. So when you come back, we'll be ready. What are they doing? Well, they're essentially pledging to give. They're saying we will give over this next period of time. And so it's important, Paul is saying in verse 11, that now that they finish the work, I think this is a really good scripture passage for our church today based on where we are because even though it's Commitment Sunday for us, we've got to remember that commitment is not a one-day thing, right? It's about 
the future. You're committed, just like in a marriage, it's not just a commitment that you make one day at a wedding ceremony, it's in the future. And for us, our commitment is over the next three years. And honestly, it's gonna take more than just pledging today, church, right? Like, if we all come together and we pledge $4 million, but then over the next three years we only give $800,000, then the church is in a world of hurt, right? And so it is about commitment over the next three years. And that's why Paul in verse 11 says that really interesting phrase where he says, our eager willingness to do it, that's maybe what we feel today, our eager willingness to do it must be matched by our completion of it. Because in a way, pledging is the easy part, right? Anybody could sit here in this room and write down a number, right? You could write down $100 million if you wanted to, right? That's not hard. The hard part is actually fulfilling it. It's committing to it. That's that sacrifice piece that we talked about last week. Okay, let's keep reading. We're gonna read more about commitment. So we're verse 12 now. He says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Okay, let's talk about this a little bit, because I think sometimes people actually, in history, have mixed up these verses a little bit. But let me show you the second way first, that Paul is reminding them to stay committed to God's cause. This is the second way. Number two, we commit to taking care of each other. Now, It's important that we understand what Paul isn't saying here. So Paul's not saying that everyone in Corinth and everyone in Jerusalem has to live at the exact same economic level. So the equality that Paul talks about and that you see really a number of times in the New Testament is about equality of sacrifice not equality of income. So the New Testament uses this idea, a decent amount of proportional, that's based on what you have, proportional sacrifice. And so right now, the Corinthian Christians, because as we said last week, they were sort of the wealthier people in Greece, they had excess income that they could help these people in Jerusalem. But what Paul is saying is, he's saying, you don't know the future, and it may be in the future that it's the Jerusalem Christians that are helping out you, the Corinthian Christians. We are to take care of each other. That's what a body does. Uh, This is why we put so much emphasis as a church on house groups. It is critical, my friends, that you don't just see and understand church as just a service that you attend. And we've really missed this and lost this in the American church. Church in the New Testament is so much more than coming on a Sunday morning, uh, worshiping to a few songs, and then consuming information. Church is a body of people that come around and encourage and spur one another on to love and good deeds, as the book of Hebrews says. You know, I was thinking about this uh, this week when I was studying the passage, and I was thinking about my house group that I attend, actually. And while I was out a couple weeks ago doing the Illuminate uh, Q&As, where I went to all 17 of our house groups in uh, five days, the house group that my wife and I personally attend, they knew that that was gonna be a hard time physically for me to do that. Uh, And they looked at me, their friend, their fellow house group member, and they knew that was gonna be hard for me and hard for my family. And so what they did is they rallied around us as a group and they brought us meals to our house every single day that week. They blessed us in our need. In fact, so much so that when we got to Friday of that week, that was the first night that I didn't have to go out all night for house groups, 
I was just getting ready for dinner and one of my kids came up to me and they said, Dad, do you, do you have to go out to all the house groups tonight? And I said, oh, just answer right away. I'm like, oh no, you know, buddy, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's done now. Dad's gonna be home for dinner. And he said, oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. I was kind of really hoping we were gonna get one of those special meals again. <laughs> But it was a really cool moment for me as a pastor because I thought that's the church, right? That's the church serving and blessing and taking care of each other. And Lindsay and I have done and will do the same for our friends in our house group when they're in a difficult time or in a difficult week. That's the body of Christ, just as Paul said, blessing each other in different times and in different needs. By the way, if you are not in a group yet, you haven't entered into this biblical idea of Christian community, I want you to sign up today. People literally sign up every week. I saw people signing up after first service. Uh, we have plenty of groups to sign up for. You can do it at the welcome table. Or you can always do it on your, on your phone, on your app, or uh, on the website as well. But we, want, we know your faith thrives in community, and we want you to be a part of that. You know, in the church, in the Christian church, we bless each other, but one of the things I'm always struck by is as we are talking about blessing other people in the future with the gospel, even those people will be people that bless us. I was really struck by this fact, that was a couple of years ago now, it was when we were doing our Renovation U classes in the basement of our old office building <laughs> before we had this building, and I was teaching uh, a th- our Theology 201 class, and I was looking out at all the students in the class, and it just hit me, I thought, huh, there's a ton of people in this class that I'm teaching right now that came to Christ at our church. And here they are already a few years later studying systematic theology in the basement of our office building. And then I looked and I was trying to do the math and it was about 25% of the entire class had come to Christ at our church. And I looked out a little bit more and I thought, this is really cool because there's a person that came to Christ at our church and she is already a ministry leader at our church. She leads a ton of volunteers. And I looked at another guy and I thought, That's really cool because he is already an elder. He's a house leader at our church. And these were people that we as a church, we set out to reach, just like we're gonna do with other people in the years to come, we set out to reach these people and they already were leading and blessing us. That's just a cool picture of the future. And I believe that church, when done right, when discipleship is actually happening, That happens in the church. A church is a place where people take and serve and bless each other, as Paul says. Okay, let's read another verse, verse 15. Okay, verse 15 is a quote. So Paul says, as it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So to make his case why the Corinthians should give, why they should be generous, Paul actually quotes a verse from the Old Testament. Now, when you're reading your own Bibles and you see something like that, somebody says, as it is written, and there's a quote, usually there's a little footnote there. You want to look at what the footnote is, see what it's referencing, and then go back what is the story that's coming from? Because if you understand the context of it, then it's gonna be so much richer to you. So let's talk a little bit about the context of that quote. So Paul's quoting from an Old Testament event when God had delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and they were on their way walking through the desert to eventually to the promised land. And while they were in the desert, the Lord miraculously provided food for them every day called manna. It was this bread-like substance, kind of strange. In fact, when they came out to it, they called it manna, which literally means, what is it? <laughs> which is one of the greatest words in the Old Testament. Okay, so God provides this manna for them, 
And they were very clearly told that they were to gather only as much manna as they needed for that day. And if the elderly or the disabled couldn't get out there fast enough, people were to share so that everybody had enough. That's the verse that Paul is quoting. And God warned them, don't take more manna than you need. And yet, believe it or not, people still did that, right? Like, you know what, I'm going to need this. I just, I'm gonna need it, you never know, hard days may come. So all these people that were kinda, you know, gathering the excess man in their, in their tunic pockets or whatever they had, right? And to their utter dismay, every time the next morning, those who had gathered an excess supply found that their hoarded manna, every time, was full of maggots and was absolutely rotten. And so the principle was that if you gathered extra manna, you were to share it because what good would it be to you the next day anyway? And you were to trust that God would provide more for you tomorrow. And I just think as a church, if we believe these biblical principles about caring for other people and about trusting God, here here to me is the third way that we should be committed as Christians. Number three, we commit to focusing on What matters most? Uh, You can see that in this principle in the story of the manna. If you are always, you you can think of money like manna. If you are always focusing on money and getting more money just for money's sake, what will happen is that pursuit of money will begin to rot your spiritual life. But what God wants from us is to open our eyes, to look outside of ourselves and see those who are struggling, those who are in material poverty, those who are in spiritual poverty. And anyways, as Christians, we need to biblically remember that our money won't be any use of us, to us personally, when we die. I don't know uh, how many funerals you've been to, but when you see the hearse going by, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse, okay? The Bible says that we brought nothing into this world and we will take nothing out of it. And so you want to, as a Christian, you want to find ways to invest in things that will matter for all of eternity. And honestly, I can't think of a better investment than helping people meet Jesus. People who are going to spend all of eternity in heaven and not in hell. Now I want you to think about this interesting question. When you get to heaven someday... What will you say when God asks you how you use the money that he gave you to steward on his behalf? How will you answer that question? You know, if you're a person that's kind of into the financial world, and I know many of you are, I think you can think about this topic even from an investment standpoint. Like, think about your house. Your house is a good investment, right? But I want you to think about long-term investments. I mean, like, long-term investments. Because like your house, 500 years from now, is gonna be flattened, or they're gonna be like trees growing through it or something, right? Your car, hundreds of years from now, is gonna be in a landfill. But that person that you had a part in helping to know Jesus, hundreds of years from now, is gonna be standing next to you in heaven, not in hell. That's, that's one of the reasons the Bible talks so much about finances is God wants us to have an eternal perspective on what we invest in. 
You know, one example that's been really inspirational to me on this subject is the story and the life of Viggo Olsen. Uh, uh, his uh, biography, uh, which is a book called Doctar, uh, which is an excellent book. Um, I think we even have a picture of that slide of that book of Doctar somewhere. So there it is. Okay. Uh, this is actually on my reading list for the church a couple of years ago. I love this book, incredible biography. So Viggo Olsen, um, when he was in the Navy, he had an experience that really impacted his life. In fact, he was almost finished in his training to be a doctor in internal medicine, but he was also in the Navy. And the Navy had him stationed for a while at this small, beautiful island in the South Pacific. And for whatever reason, as a doctor, they had put him and his wife up in this beautiful, huge house right on the coast. And he, he says in the book, we had literally like a million dollar view of the ocean. And he said, I remember when I moved in, I thought, yes, this is exactly what I want my future to be like as a doctor. I want to be rich. I want to make money. I want to live a life like this. And then he said, after we lived there for a number of months, he said, I just had this epiphany that I realized I'm actually no more happy right now than we were back when we lived in our tiny, tiny little apartment back in the States in medical school. I, I, there's nothing about it. I'm no more happy than I was there. He gets this really oppor interesting opportunity because most of us don't get the opportunity to try out being rich when you're young, right? But he did. And so he just resolved to himself so firmly in that moment. He said, you know what? I am just not gonna chase after the temporary material things. I just don't, I thought I wanted my life to be like that. I don't want my life to be about that. I wanna chase after what is gonna matter most for all of eternity. And it was on that island in the South Pacific that Olson felt God firmly calling him to become a medical missionary. In fact, over time, the Lord really shaped this interesting call in his life. And he felt like the Holy Spirit called him to go to a place where there were no Christians and start a hospital so they could care for people and in providing that amazing service for people, it would open a door, a very interesting door, more so than a lot of missionaries would have an opening to share Christ with people. But then he realized as that calling started to take shape that if they were gonna pull that off and he was gonna start a hospital, that he would have to be an expert in like a ton of different medical fields. So much so that he would have to complete not eight or nine years, but 15 years of post-secondary education. Think about that. 15 years of school after high school. That's commitment, right? And he, he was about eight or nine years in, and so he knew that he'd still have another six or seven years to go. So he firmly makes this commitment, all right, I'm doing it, this is what the Lord's calling me to do. And then three days later, he gets a letter in the mail. And the letter, the return address on the letter is from the Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. And the letter reads this, Mr. Olson, we are happy to inform you that you have been accepted for a fellowship in the Department of Internal Medicine of the Mayo Clinic. And let me just tell you something. When you make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, for some of you, when you make a commitment, a financial commitment, to say, God, I'm gonna do this for you, a com huge commitment of your time, when you make that commitment, you will be tested. You will be tempted. And some of you are making significant sacrifices today. You're making a commitment. You're saying, Lord, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm just telling you right now, you're gonna be tested. 
sometime in the next three years. And so you gotta resolve right now, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna respond? Figo Olson wrote back to Mayo Clinic and he said, no thanks. Because he had already committed to a higher doctor, the great physician. And so Vigo Olson, he finishes 15 years, that's a dedication of post-secondary education. He became a surgeon. He became an expert in all sorts of different medical fields. And by the way, you gotta know that people thought he was nuts for doing this too. Which I find actually really interesting because if he would have said, I wanna become a surgeon in multiple areas, I wanna become an expert, also I can make a ton of money, I think people would have been patting him on the back. They would have said, oh, bro, that's a great investment strategy. You're going to be rich. You go get it. But because he said, I'm going to go and start a hospital in the middle of nowhere in Bangladesh where I'm going to make no money for doing that. Also, I can tell people about Jesus. People are like, you're off your rocker. Like, what's the matter with you? But I just want to tell you something. I, I want to assure you of something. In eternity, Vigo Olson isn't going to look foolish. He's going to look one of, like one of the heroes of faith because he invested his time and his money in the things that will matter, not 30 years from now, but 10,000 years from now. And so here today in this room, we are inviting each of you to invest in what will matter 10,000 years from now and beyond, and that is reaching people for Jesus Christ, like the people that you saw up here on the stage last week. So at this point, if you haven't grabbed uh, your commitment card, uh, whether from here on the chair or the one that you brought with you, this will be the time to do so. If for some reason you haven't filled it out yet, uh, I encourage you to do that uh, right now because in just a few minutes we are going to turn that in. Uh, I just want to walk through very practically here a few details on this card. So what you are doing is you are making a pledge of what you intend to give over the next three years. You're not actually giving right now. This is just a pledge. It's a declaration of your intentions. It's not a legal contract. It's a pledge. It's a commitment. Uh, we do ask that as you fill this out, as you look kind of to that right-hand side, that you mark on there uh, how often you intend to give, whether it's a weekly, monthly, annually, or, or other. So you're just going to pick one of those uh, four rows on the right, and you're gonna write a total on the far right, and then if you need to, to use your calculator app or whatever to figure out what that would be, a weekly or monthly, uh, that would be great. But you're just filling out one of those four rows. If you don't have a calculator or math is just scary to you, <laughs> and you're like, I don't know what to do right now, at minimum, on just one of those far right lines, just write your three-year total pledge, and we will figure it out for you, okay? <laughs> I know that many of you are gonna wanna know today or this week, like what happened, what is the total number, uh, but we know that there are many people who are unable to be here today, uh, others are pledging online, some people have said, I'm bringing it next week, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna wait a couple of weeks to make sure that everybody gets it in and we will make the announcement of the total on March 19th. Okay, at this point, I'm gonna call our band uh, back on stage. They're gonna lead us uh, in worship, and we're gonna do something that we've only done really a couple times in the history of this church, because what, we're, what you're doing this morning is, it's not just making a pledge. I believe that it is an act of worship. And so what we want you to do is this. Anytime uh, during this last song, I want you to actually get up out of your seat and take your commitment card and walk it forward to the altar here, to the stage, and there's, there's four baskets all along the front of the stage, and I want you to actually put uh, your commitment card 
in the basket because you're bringing it up as an offering to God. You're saying, Lord, I am sacrificing for you, for people, for lost people. And I know so many of you in this room, you are making amazing sacrifices today. And I just want you to know, that's a powerful act of worship. This is, as the Bible sometimes said in the Old Testament, of sacrifices, that these things are, it's a fragrant and pleasing offering to God. And so at any time during this last song, what I want you to do is bring your commitment cards up to the front. If you're married, uh, I want you to come up together. Uh, If you have family members in here, you got your kids in here, Everybody come up together. Don't just send one person. And if you would, if you feel comfortable, would you even take a, a moment or so, because we're gonna have to space this out too with so many people in here. Would you take a moment or so and even just pray together that the Lord would keep you committed and be with you and be with our church uh, in this season. So at any time during this last song, uh, you can bring this up. And let me just say, as we close out this series, let me just say, as the leader of this church, on behalf of all of our leaders, uh, we are so thankful for you. So thankful. We together are Renovation Church. And I just want to tell you, I hope that you know, and I hope that you understand that someday, even if it's not until heaven, that someday someone is going to come and put their arms around you and thank you for what you did for them. So thank you. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray uh, over our church uh, as we... uh, We trust you, Lord. Uh, We trust you, but we pray, God, that you would be with us right now. I pray that you would be with our church over the next 36 months, that as testings come and trials come, that we would stay committed and that we would continue to trust in you and trust in what you're doing. We just worship you now, Lord, and we ask you to just make a way for our church. In your name we pray, amen.